am officially on, so be careful what you say. Being, Carol, watch it. You're being, you're being watched back there. Okay. Um, does anybody um, have any thoughts when it comes to the 144,000, what that means, what have you heard? Are you like, I don't have a clue what you're talking about? Um, anybody have any thoughts with that? No? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're, on, you're on a track there. So, um, <laughs> um, I think we may talk about what you're referring to. Um, we'll hit that in a second. I'm not sure if it's the, if it's the same one, but um, uh, first off, let's um, this passage or um, the 144,000 concept comes from two places, and I want to look at them. So let's go to Revelation chapter seven, okay? Revelation chapter seven and Revelation 14, but we'll hit seven first, okay? All right. You know, and while we're turning here, um, I think perhaps there's a lot of sensationalized information out there. Uh, Things that make good movies, uh, good novels, good books, but they're not based on correct biblical interpretation. And I think, just to be honest with you, not everyone, I mean, this is up to the individual, but some people... They, they want that dramatic scene to unfold. Uh, they're looking for uh, something to take place that's sensationalized, that's dramatic, that's this huge event that they uh, believe that they've been researching. They're looking for certain activities to take place over in Israel and Jerusalem and all that. And... To be honest with you, what we believe is truth kind of steals some of that thunder a little bit. It's not quite as what they thought, and so some people may run away and say, well, that's not what I want it to be. But, you know, kind of what Claire said, you know, if you really want to know the truth, you'll study so you'll know what is false, and you'll know um, really not to fall for for falsehood. Okay, here we go. Let's do this. Let's... um, Read Revelation 7, 4 through 8. Okay. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Now, I'm not going to read through all those tribes. Okay. We're going to hit the tribes here in just a second. But it talks about, uh, for example, of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of Reuben, 12,000. So it was listing the, the, the tribes of Israel and the 12,000. Okay? And let's go to Revelation 14. And we will read the first five verses of this. Okay? All right. Starting with verse 1. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of harpists playing their harps. They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song 
except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Verse 4, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. <laughs> Jessica's looking at me going, yeah, I know. What does that mean? Yeah, as um, Dalton kind of alluded to, many cults and religions have read this passage or read these passages, and they have inserted themselves into these passages to make it uh, apply to them, as though the Apostle John were um, prophesying about their fulfillment one day. And they put, and here's the key, they put a literal meaning on the 144,000. That word literal and revelation, as we've talked many times, really ought not go together, because we know revelation is a book of, Revelation is a book of symbols. Okay. But, for example, one of those cults, it's a cult, it's not a um, Protestant religion, and I don't know if this is what Dalton was referring to, but one of those who insert themselves into this philosophy is the Jehovah Witness. Okay? Let me just talk about that for a second. Um, Charles T. Russell began the Jehovah Witnesses back in 1879, okay? Um, and as a way of getting people to come into the fold, they looked at these passages, and they said the first 144,000 people who join us will get into heaven, okay? So that's what they began to teach. The first 144,000 would go to heaven, and they would rule as kings. But by 1935, they had a problem. They reached their 144,000. Okay? You're thinking, well, what's the problem? Well, they didn't know what to do with the person who came after that. The 144,000 and first person, I'm not sure if that's how you say that, but what do you do with that person? Okay, all right. Jan is the last one. She's the 144,000th person. Now here comes Dalton. He's next, so he's out of luck, right? So now they had a problem. What were they going to do now? Okay, so they had to invent plan B. Everyone born after 1935, those who numbered more than the 144,000, um, are now said to be a part of the great crowd. What that means is that those people will never die, but they will live here on earth for forever. So you're still in. You still get a benefit. You still get a perk. You're okay, Dalton. You're right. So the 144,000, they go to heaven and rule as kings, but the rest, you get a pretty sweet deal too. You get to live here on earth for, for forever. What's crazy about this, number one, is it's just totally erroneous, but other than that, um, early on they taught that the 144,000 referred to in Revelation here speaks of only those who are true Christians. Okay? 
And it took from the time of Christ until 1935 for God to find 144,000 true Christians. Just think about that, right? Okay? Yet isn't it amazing that ever since 1935, God has found over 6 million true Christians who are now a part of the Jehovah Witness Church. So there's over 6 million people who claim to be Jehovah Witness. So how is it possible that God found them after 1935, but he could only find 144,000 from the time of Christ up until 1935? So, you know, if you remember, when we started our study a couple months ago, and our first topic was the rapture, uh, one of the first things I said is allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and also allow common sense. And when I just say this, you're probably thinking that makes no sense whatsoever. So that's a guide there. Okay, so yeah, a lot of religions and cults will put themselves in these passages. But let's, let's go ahead and dig into it, and I will give you what I feel is our interpretation of this. Uh, again, you study yourself. This is, this is uh, how we feel here. Um, again, we believe Revelation is a symbolic picture of events, events that the Apostle uh, uh, John... Keep in mind, I want us to go there and look. Go to, um, go to Revelation 1, I believe. Just turn over and go to Revelation 1. Revelation 1, verse 19. Keep in mind what Jesus said. These words are in red. He's telling John, actually, let's go up to 18. He said, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. And here's 19. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So basically, just take it for what it says there. He's telling John, look, I'm going to tell you things. It's going to be in symbols, but I'm going to tell you things which have already taken place in the past, in the history, when John lived, okay? And I'm also going to show you things that are taking place right now. And I'm also going to show you things that are going to take place in the future, okay? So um, keep that in mind as a backdrop. So the question we have here is who or what is the 144,000, okay? I'm just going to tell you up front and simply what it is, and then we're going to dig into it a little bit more, okay? Uh, to put it simply, we believe that this is a reference to the church. Okay? It's a picture of the church, those who have accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. And we're going to look at this throughout the evening here, okay? So let's break this down. We believe it's a reference to the church, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, um, some of you may be thinking, all right, what's up with the number 12 and what's up with the 144,000? Okay. Um, 12, does anybody know anything biblically about the number 12? Nope. 12 in the Bible is a number that signifies completeness. Okay. How many apostles were there? How many tribes of Israel were there? Well, so you kind of see a pattern throughout the Bible that the number 12 is a number just kind of, you know, um, encompasses completeness. Okay? I'm sorry, what? There you go. Yeah, we could probably just go on and on. Huh? Hey! 12 slices to a pizza? 
Is that Papa John's or Domino's or whatever it is? <laughs> I like it. All right. Um, and then what we do with that is you take 12 times a thousand and remember a thousand and you get 144,000. Okay. Again, a thousand represents, it symbolizes infinity or something that cannot be counted or specified. And I think what you're going to see is throughout our study is that the 144,000 is a symbolic way of just describing something that's complete. The church is complete. The church is perfect. A church made up of individuals, but, but the church is ideal. It's what God had in store. It's what Jesus had in store, okay? So the 144,000 is just a number that just, um, it, it, it's a general number concept that identifies completeness and wholeness, okay? Uh, go back to Revelation 7. All right, Revelation 7. Go back to there if you're not there. Dalton, why would you have to say that? I'm hungry. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Revelation 7 where it says sealed. Okay. Um, read verse 4, and it says, I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Okay. Basically, folks, this just refers, we believe this refers to the Holy Spirit and what he did and what he has done to the redeemed. Let's look at these passages right here, okay? Uh, let me get someone to look up uh, that, Ephesians 1.13b, Ethesians 1.13. Let's just all look at it together, okay? Keep your finger in Revelation. Let's go over to Ephesians, okay? Ephesians 1.13b. Let's just read the whole verse. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay? So Ephesians 1.13 tells us that the Holy Spirit, when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he seals us. Praise the Lord. Go over to Ephesians 4.30. Okay? Ephesians 4.30. Okay, I'll wait for you all to get there. Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 2 Corinthians 1.22 2 Corinthians 1.22 Let's actually uh, go up to verse 21. 2 Corinthians 1:21-22 says now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee so there are passages right there we'll just take it simply when it's talking about sealed that is a reference to the holy spirit sealing our hearts in Jesus Christ okay I just took my finger out of where I said not to take it out of. Revelation 7. All right, let's get back there, okay? 
So that's, that's one thing that we can see in our first passage here. Let's look at um, Revelation 7.4. Again, that's really the main verse that we're looking at. Um, so as we talked about, groups like Jehovah Witnesses, they think that the 144,000 is referring to them. But what they do is it, they take it literally. They take the 144,000 literally, but then they set aside the literism. If that, I think that's a word. They take aside, they, they put aside, you know, being literal when they look at the tribes. See what I'm saying? So how can they be literal and say that 144,000 applies to us, but it specifically talks about the Jews? They set aside literal interpretation when verses uh, 5 through 8 speak of only those of Jewish descent being sealed, because then the Jehovah Witnesses could not be sealed. But my question to you, and this is common sense, do we really believe that exactly 12,000 Jews from each tribe listed are going to be saved in, in heaven? That's basically what it's saying here, right? That 12,000, exactly 12,000 people from the tribe of Judah, from the tribe of Ishakar, or, you know, just name them. What if there was one other person in that tribe that wanted to be saved? They couldn't, sorry. You know? So there has to be something else here. There has to be another meaning to this. And, and we believe it's a spiritual meaning. Okay? Also, after the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., all of the tribal distinction and the records were destroyed. So um, if you are a Jew, it's nearly impossible to know what your tribe is. So again, common sense leads us here. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about the tribes. Okay. Um, explanation of the tribes. Out of all the tribes that are listed there, okay, one original tribe, Dan, was omitted and replaced by Manasseh. Manasseh it's a, is a name that was never one of Jacob's sons to begin with. The tribes that are listed there, 11 of them are sons that were given to Jacob. He had 12. Okay? But one of them was taken out, and it was the tribe of Dan. And in its place here in Revelation is the name Manasseh. Manasseh was the first son that Joseph, Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. Okay, remember the story of Joseph. Um, that was his first son. Okay, so this already seems a little bit out of kilter here. Why would he take one of the original sons out? Boy, wouldn't you feel left out? <laughs> You know, and he put in Manasseh. I'm not going to get real deep here. I'll just give you some general thoughts. But the reasoning for some of this may lie behind the names. Names in the Bible mean something, okay? Your name may mean something. I, I, I don't know. But um, all the names listed there in verses 5 through 8 have meanings that characterize Christian graces, okay? They uh, have meanings which characterize Christian graces. That's hard to say. Christian graces such as praise, victory, fruitfulness. The name Reuben means dignity and power. The name Reuben means praise. The name Gad means overcomer. So all of the names listed here 
are names of victory, names of redemption, names of the glorious characteristics of God. The name Dan, however, means this, a serpent by the way, an adder in the path. That's why we believe they left out that name. It's not a redemptive name. There's not a redemptive story in the person in the tribe of Dan. But Manasseh, Joseph's first son, and if you remember, Joseph had to go through an awful lot, and he ended up being uh, high up in the Egyptian government. Um, His first son, Manasseh, means God has made me forget all of my toil in all my father's house. Basically, God has redeemed me. God has given me this second chance. God has blessed me. God has not forgotten me. So the main point to the tribes that we feel is simply this. The tribes speak to the complete and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Now we could probably dig a whole lot more and go for weeks at a time, but I'm not going to go there, okay? But you have to ask yourself, why would he have left out one of the original sons? Well, start looking at the names, and uh, so we can see some truth with that. Okay? Am I blowing you all's minds? You still with me? You okay? All right? All right. You wouldn't tell me if I did, would you? No. All right. So that's uh, Revelation 7. All right. Let's go to Revelation 14 and break those down a little bit before we are done tonight. Revelation 14, verse 1, speaks of Mount Zion. Mount Zion, okay? The, let's read that. It says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Let's just stop there. Um, spiritually and symbolically speaking, Mount Zion is what? It's another reference to the church. Folks, Mount Zion is another reference to the church, the dwelling place of God. Okay, um, I want us to look at these verses here. Um, let me read this. Second Kings nineteen. Second Kings nineteen twenty one. This is the word which the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin, the daughter of Zion, he despised you, laughed you to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head behind your back. It's talking about the redemptive purpose there of the people of Israel. Okay, If you go to Psalm 125, let me read that. Try not to go too deep with you, but I want you to see. I'm just not... Pulling this out of thin air. Psalm 125, verse 1 says, If it had not been the Lord... Nope, wrong one. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. So who is it that trusts in the Lord? Those who are God's people, right? God's children, his people. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. And Hebrews 12, 22 Hebrews 12:22 says, "But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, 
and verse 28 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptable with reverence and godly fear. So this is referring to the redeemed, the saved, those living in the kingdom of God. And let me remind you of something I've recently read. I did a Twitter post on this the other day. Um, I, I was reading in Second Chronicles. Um, in the Old Testament, where did they try to put God? What did they build to try and place God in? Holy of Holies, the temple. Okay? But was that even possible? Was it even possible? Um, and it says in Second Chronicles verse six, uh, verse 18, Solomon said this, But will God indeed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and, and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less the temple which I have built. Basically, where's the only place that God can dwell? Right here. Mount Zion in the Old Testament is also another word for Jerusalem. Okay? Mount Zion and Jerusalem are the same things in the Old Testament. And Jerusalem is where God's people lived. It's where they dwelt. That's why today all the Jews want to try and go back to Jerusalem eventually. They're still living in the Old Testament days. But in the New Testament era, spiritually speaking, Mount Zion is within the hearts of his people. Okay? So um, when it's talking about Mount Zion here, it's talking about the people of God. Okay, so spiritually, Zion refers to everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ and um, are God's people in the spirit. If you have accepted Christ, you were born in Zion and you are a citizen of the kingdom of God and a member of the church, which is the body of Christ. Praise the Lord. Um, this next one you might find a little interesting. Let's go on to Revelation 14.4 where it says, these are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. What on earth are you talking about? Um, well, let's just think about that for a second. It's talking about the 144,000, those who are going to be saved, those who will be in heaven, those who are sealed. It says, they are the ones who were not defiled with women. Okay, for they are virgins. A literal interpretation of that would demand the elimination of all married men. With me? Okay, because once a husband and a wife um, have union together, that it's not a defilement, but that's how it's described here. Okay. A literal interpretation would demand the elimination of all married men, and who else would not be able to be a part of this? Women. Yeah. So now we're saying this 144,000 uh, people who are saved and redeemed, sorry women, you're left out. Okay? Um, one translation even defines these people as celibates. Okay? Celibates. So when we combine Revelation 7 
in uh, Revelation 14, a literal interpretation would say it this way. It's referring to exactly 144,000 people of Jewish ancestry, because I listed all the tribes, selected equally from 12 tribes that no longer exist. And all of them must be male celibates and no women. Kind of sounds crazy, doesn't it? Yeah. And I ask again, where is our common sense? So again, let's apply a spiritual meaning to what we believe is being told to us here. Oh, is that my battery? Ooh. You know what? Let's see if I can get through this. The church is the bride of Christ. Espouse solely to Christ. So what does that mean? To be espoused means to be given under a solemn vow to marriage. Christ regards his bride, the church, in the same light. And any flirtation, any compromise, any assimilation with the world is compared to adultery. You with me? Yeah. This is why the 144,000 are said to be celibates. Okay? They are to be given not to a, another lady, not to a, 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 a physical union. They're to be given to one person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. We are the bride of Christ. He is the groom, and we are his. Okay? And again, this is a symbolically speaking here. Okay? They're undefiled. They have not defiled themselves by committing adultery with the world. James 4.4 4 says... Uh, do not do that. Do not be lovers of the world. They are all redeemed ones, and they all sing a new song of deliverance and victory. Look at verse 4 of Revelation 14 again. These are the ones. Now, knowing what I just told you, read this verse in that context. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. That means they've just been given to Jesus Christ. Jesus alone. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being firstfruits to God and to the Lamb. Okay? And verse 3 says, They sang, as it were, a new song before the throne. They're the ones, they're the only ones that are able to sing a new song. It's the song of redemption. Oh, boy. I know, I hear you. Okay. Um... You're just going to have to take my word for it from here on out, probably. Whenever we run out, we run out. Revelation 14.1, where it says, Having his father's name written on their foreheads. Does that sound a little familiar? We talked about 666 on the forehead. Okay. Um, evidently, these people, I guess you could say, were branded. Okay. If they had the father's image on their forehead, they were branded. The redeemed have been branded a symbol signifying ownership. A brand is basically an image. Okay? It's an image of its owner. It is not possible, folks, for sinful, corrupt man to reflect the image of God until after one is saved. Right? It's not possible. Once they are saved, then they take on the image of Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, keep your finger there again. Go to, it just left me, didn't it? Didn't it? That's okay. We're almost done. Romans one twenty three. Go to Romans one twenty three. If you need any of these verses, just come up and see me. Okay?
Keep in mind, it says, and having his father's name written on their foreheads. Romans 1.23 says that we have been changed, okay, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Go to Romans 8.29. 8.29. Let's actually go to Romans 8.28. We'll start there. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many Brethren, this image, this likeness characterizes every child of God regardless of race, color, creed, language, or social status. They all bear the image or the likeness or the family likeness of Jesus Christ, of him who redeemed them. I believe that's what this is trying to say in Revelation 14. Everyone is going to have the image of the Father on them. One of the things that I have just so enjoyed throughout my entire life, man, I've sang in a lot of churches. Some of you know this, but my family and I, we would go around churches in the Ohio Valley and we would sing. Dad used to set me up on a chair when I was like four or five years old and I would just sing to a church in a congregation. And so, man, I can't tell you how many churches I've been in. And then all the camp meetings that I've done down through the years. And the one thing that I have noticed is, is I have met a lot of Christians for the first time I never knew, but it's the same spirit. It's the same sweet spirit of Jesus Christ wherever you go. You know, whether you're in China or whether you're out in Baltic or whatever it is, when you experience someone that we're talking about here, they have that same image of God on their life, on their heart, and the same spirit of Jesus Christ. And you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's a beautiful spirit. So the Father's name is written on our foreheads when Paul said we have the mind of Christ. All right, just a few more, few more points here. Back to Revelation 14.4. Uh, it says, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Okay? These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Uh, can anybody... Uh, um, Think of a verse that talks about how we are to follow him. You know what I'm talking about? John 10:27. Well, that would be a good one. That's not what I'm talking about, but you could, you could, you could include that one. Yeah, take up your cross and follow me. You're right. John 10:27. Jesus says this: My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So Revelation 14 is just talking about the people who are redeemed, the Christians. They're going to follow Christ. Wherever he goes, wherever he tells them, they're going to follow him. Okay? This is another hallmark of the redeemed. And one, one last thing that I'll point out here in Revelation 14, look at verse 5 says, and in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. I believe this is a reference to how when one accepts Christ, there is no sin, there is no guilt, there is no condemnation in their hearts. 
Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful verse that is. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit of God. That just goes back to what we just talked about in verse 4. Those who follow Christ know his voice and they're going to follow him. And if you follow him, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you walk according to the Spirit. Ephesians 5.27. Let me read it real quick and then we'll be done. Ephesians 5.27 says this. Talking about the church, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So when you read Revelation 14:5, how it's it's easy to see is talking about the church, talking about the uh, those of us who have been redeemed. There's no therefore no condemnation in our lives. And we are going to be presented without fault, with no deceit. Praise the Lord. So if you are redeemed, you can sing the new song of deliverance from sin. And you have an assurance of being included in this perfect number of completeness that signifies all the redeemed. Um, Let me make some closing comments and then I'm done. So just to reiterate, the bride, which is the church is celibate in that it is espoused to Christ and not defiled by an illicit love affair with the world. They all sing the song of the redeemed. What I'm talking about is what we just read in Revelation 7 and 14. They all sing the song of the redeemed, which none can learn until they have been delivered from sin. And they follow the Lamb wherever he goes. 144,000 is not limited to a mathematical exactness but it symbolizes completeness. Literalism distorts these passages, giving way to private interpretation, which really is condemned by Second Peter. These passages depict a beautiful, majestic picture of the church, revealed through symbols. The church who glorifies our Redeemer as Savior and Lord for all eternity. And I'm done. And those that are listening to this, I'm going to sign off right now. God bless you.